0: on mixtape just around the corner did a lot in california can't wait to drop this don't you yeah they're gonna have fun with that smash like song in my songs gonna break hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with formula one my name is mark hamilton it is monday February 6th. We are just three weeks, not even three weeks, two and a half weeks away from the drop of Drive to Survive Season 5. We have the first Grand Prix of the season, just 27 tantalizing days away. But before we get started, we've got a killer listener email to kick this off. My friend, my colleague, my friend of me, my neighbor, Mr. Mark Daly. How the heck are you?
1: I'm good. Can you believe that uh, we're on the cusp of uh, a new week? Well, it is a new week. Weekends go awfully fast, but... Oh, well, it is what it is. At least uh, we got the Super Bowl to look forward to this uh, weekend. But, you know, I was looking at the, the show outline that you sent me yesterday. And you're like, this this is is going to be like a little bit of a, a, of a different one. And I'm just, Hey, hang on. Wait, look, this is like. Basically, an all Red Bull show, and then I started to think about it and say, like for one reason or another, it seems like these guys take <laughs> up an awful lot of real estate on this show, and I, I just can't. I don't think it's anything we're do you know doing purposely, but they do seem to generate a lot of news. This team, especially the last, do. yeah, 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 hundred percent. But there's lots to talk about with Red Bull, but we wanted to kick it off because we have a great listener email that kind of brings us all ties this whole Red Bull discussion and all the latest Red Bull
0: news together. I'll kick it off. Jenna Garcia via email from Phoenix, Arizona writes, and I quote, Hi Mark Squared, happy early Valentine's Day. I hope you have the opportunity to spend some lovely time with your significant others. I've been listening to your show and watching F1 since the beginning of the 2021 season, so I know only know of Red Bull as an incredibly dominant team that gets a lot of media attention. Can you share some background on this team and comment how a quote-unquote fizzy drinks maker was able to become so dominant in the sport. Thank you for everything that you do and shout out to Hammy for discussing mental health on this show as it really normalizes the conversation around a stigmatized topic. I hope you guys hit 1 million downloads this year. Jenna, thank you so much for the lovely email and the kind words. I'm going to kick it off to Mr. Daly and maybe we (laughs) can take a trip down memory lane as it relates to Red Bull and their history in Formula One.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the whole Red Bull story actually goes back roughly 25 years ago. Uh, The genesis of this team actually started as uh, Stewart uh, Grand Prix, which was a team that was uh, run by Sir Jackie Stewart, three-time world champion, and his son, Paul Stewart, who was well-known for Paul Stewart racing in the lower uh, formulas. Anyways, uh, in 97, they uh, they dialed up their own Formula One team, and that had uh, Ford power. But it didn't last uh, too long. By 1999, they'd actually sold the team off to, to Ford, and Jackie had a long-standing uh, relationship with the Ford uh, Motor Company. He probably still does uh, today. I mean, if you see any pictures of uh, the 19, especially the late 1960s, 1970s, Jackie with like the big, huge sideburns and everything. I mean, he's he's all over the place. And he was a great for, uh, you know, Formula One driver as well. My dad was a big fan of Jackie Stewart, and he used to tell me lots of stories uh, about him. Anyways, like I say, he had a, a long-standing uh, relationship uh, with Ford. Ford. So they had the Ford power. And then when the Stuart Racing wasn't quite making it in Formula One, sold it off to Ford. They rebranded as a Jaguar for uh, when they took over 1999. But that's that kind of like weird. So I would say weird period of uh, Formula One. But that time in Formula One where we saw a lot of OEMs coming into, we saw Jaguar. Then we also saw Toyota, BMW and Honda all join in different times. And eventually, within 10 years, most, if not all of them had uh, disappeared by that point. And I mean, uh, the, the uh, well, yeah, I mean, Honda was the last one to go. That became Braun, which eventually became a Mercedes. Anyways, uh, by the end of uh, 2004... Ford had decided that they no longer had a business case to keep any one of their brands involved in, 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 formula one. So they decided to, to sell it. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, very much like Jenna says, this fizzy drinks company comes up and offers to buy the, the, the team from Ford for a token $1. That's right. One us dollar. So that's a hell of a lot of money up here in Canada, but Hey, that's a different story or a different conversation for another day. But anyways, you know, joking aside the, the, the catch on that was, uh, they had uh, decided to sell the team off for one dollar, but uh, Red Bull had to invest at least four hundred million US into the team over the next uh, three years. So, I mean, four hundred bill is a lot of money today, but I mean back then that was uh, you know quite a little bit more. I mean, if you adjust for inflation and and things like that, um, uh, you know, as well, right? So Christian Horner was the the new team boss. He uh, lined up uh, David Coulthard, who by that time was a very established and very good uh, Formula One driver and Dutchman Christian uh, Killeen so they didn't really do a lot in the beginning here and there. They didn't really get established until, like, the late 2000s, 2010, and then they, I mean, they are already a competitive team by then, but that's, a, you know, by that time, you know, Sebastian Vettel had, was with the team. He'd really settled into his groove. They, they they ripped off four back-to-back world championships. And then we get to 2014. 2014, new era, gone to the normally aspirated engines, in come the V6 uh, turbo-hybrid uh, engines, and then then it's all Mercedes. So they were a little bit behind that sort of like developmental curve. Then Red Bull, because they didn't come in till about 2010. Took them a couple years to find their feet. But boy, once they 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 figured it out, there was no turning back. They wanted this unprecedented run in Formula One. Over the next, uh, I guess, eight seasons until the end of uh, 2020, constructors and driver's championships, records and all sorts of things just came tumbling down in that time. And and Red Bull... I wouldn't say they were completely in the wilderness but for for a large portion of that time they had the Renault power which Christian Horner who's never been one to shy away you know from critical remarks if he isn't happy about something was even saying back I mean, you probably remember yourself even back in 2014 he wasn't happy with the with the Renault power it was underpowered compared to the Ferrari compared to the Mercedes and you know that kind of Plotted along, I don't know, (laughs) perpetuated for a while until they eventually uh, switched to Honda Power a couple of, uh, you know, only just, uh, well, I guess it's more than a couple of years ago now. But anyhow, in that time, uh, you had uh, Sebastian Vettel left the team. He went to to Ferrari. Max Verstappen came in with Danny Ricciardo. They had several very good uh, seasons together. Max, of course, winning his first race at Spain in 2016. Max never looking back, but it was a time where that, they weren't really a team that w- was expected to win right hammy it was you know it they they could win on Th- they weren't com- specifically out of the conversation, but there was only specific races where they might stay. They're only good for a couple of wins per year, basically. And then the rest were sometimes uh, a little bit up to chance, but once they got that Honda power back, because Honda of course had been with the, uh, with the uh, McLaren starting back in 2015, I guess it was. And that was just a disastrous couple of years. But then uh, eventually after they made the switch and they got together with the Red Bull and then they just, uh, they went all in And so, so Jenna's come to Formula One in an interesting time because Mercedes for like newer fans don't like, we've heard all the stories, but they didn't really look like a very threatening team at all in 2022 and 2021. I mean, it was, it was pretty much, I mean, it was Max v. Lewis. I mean, they were going back at back and forth all season long, you know, trading wins and victories and lots of controversial moments, but it's, it's an interesting, interesting time, but yeah, it's. I, I really don't know. Like, just to kind of bring it around full circle, we know when they got into the sport and how they or how they got into the sport, but the actual why, I can actually say that is one little fact or factoid or perhaps a big fact that I actually don't know the reason why. I, I don't know if you do, Hammy. You, you tend to be a little bit more involved on in the business side of things. You got anything to add to that?
0: I'll just add, and and this is my personal experience, but obviously before buying Jaguar from Ford back at the end of 2005, going into, or the end of 2004, going into 2005, they'd been involved with Formula One their logo had been blazoned on cars going back to the 90s so they they'd been around the paddock and they were investing millions of dollars in sponsorship but I I think for Red Bull so much of who they are and and what their identity is is tied up in extreme sports and I think they looked at the departure of Ford and the departure of Jaguar from the grid as an opportunity to get involved at a very 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 low cost you say you, you mentioned it was effectively a dollar and of course there was a commitment to there was a commitment to Ford when they made that agreement that hey we we're going to invest another four hundred million dollars into the existing infrastructure and the existing facility and clearly Red Bull had that money but I think it just seemed like it was a good fit at the right time and if they were already going to invest tens of millions of dollars into the sport in terms of sunk cost sponsorship why not simply buy a team my impression at the time was so so negative and I, I'll be honest I thought it was a damaging horrendous move for. For Formula One, I thought it was terrible that a company whose predominant income came from selling energy drinks was going to own a (laughs) Formula One team just seemed like a travesty. Like You looked at the grid, you had these prestigious historic teams like Williams and McLaren and Ferrari, and then all of a sudden there was a team called Red Bull, owned by Red Bull. It seemed absolutely like... it was terrible. In In my personal opinion, I was very frustrated. But like you said, uh, they inherited a factory and they inherited infrastructure. It wasn't as though they had to build from the ground up. And we talked so much about Andretti coming into the sport. Now, they would start from scratch. They would have to hire hundreds of people, build the factory, create relationships with suppliers. They're starting from scratch. And in the case of Red Bull and Ford Jaguar, they really didn't because the 2005 car was largely dev- designed. The 2005- uh, Ford Cosworth power unit was largely ready to go. So it was a plug and play operation. They're still at that Ford. So you you talked about it being Stewart Racing. Yeah, that Stewart Racing facility in Milton Keynes, which is about 40, 45 minutes away from Silverstone. It still stands. And that's still the factory that this team is based out of and where they display all of their all of the hardware they've worn over the last couple of decades. I think the only other thing that I would add as well is they very quickly also bought another Formula One team. So we talked so much about Red Bull, but of course, Alpha Tauri, formerly Toro Rosso, they picked them up a couple of years later. They they always had this kind of choppy experience of typically, and I think from 2007 until 2018, they were rocking the Renault Power Units. Although, as you described, the relationship broke down at one point and they become badge that I think is tag Howard from 2015 until, until yes. the end. But there was often yep. periods where Toro Rosso was running a very similar chassis, at least until that was banned, but they would rock a Ferrari power unit. So it was two very different teams, uh, for much of this, for much of this era. And the funny thing is, of course, back in 2007, Sebastian Vettel, was it 2000? No, 2008, Sebastian Vettel won a race in a Toro Rosso before yep. Red Bull ever won a race. And then he migrated to the big team in 2009 and finished second in the championship And Red Bull, I think they finished 17, 18 points behind Braun GP that year. Of course, that was the Cinderella story. The Really, the only reason they weren't closer is because Braun had that absolutely stellar start where they won seven races to begin the championship. But obviously, they're a well-decorated, well-established, well-financed team. They're very professional. They do all the right thing. And now they're effectively a works team, or they're effectively now going to become, as we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, the Ford works team. But Jenna, that's that's an awesome question and a great way to kick off a show that's really going to be dominated by Red Bull stories. <laughs> well, pretty
1: much. I mean, just to throw some of those stats out there. So... Three hundred and forty-eight uh, race entries, five constructors championships, six drivers championships, ninety-two victories, two hundred and thirty-four podiums, six thousand three hundred and eighty-eight points, forty or sorry, eighty-one pole positions, eighty-four fastest laps. I mean, that's uh, impressive, impressive stuff. But you know, it's funny. Well, you, you raise a good point there, uh, Mark, when you say that uh, they have this sort of brand of being sort of like into the extreme sports. I mean. Formula One I wouldn't say is an extreme sport. It's an extreme challenge, both from an engineering point of view and a competitor's point of view. But when I when I hear like extreme sports, I think more like uh, you know, like the, the X games and things like that. And they're all fair. over that That's fair. So Because like you know, Formula One is Far too corporate to be uh, what I would consider a uh, an extreme sport, but uh, I suppose even nowadays that uh, they they have a front office for for the X Games and things like that. But you know, it's a you know great uh, great question. So. Thank you very much for that, uh, Jenna. Let's move on to the next uh, question. Not the next question, but uh, we did have a, a Red Bull reveal a couple of days ago. The RB19 is the 2023 Red Bull competitor, their entry into the Formula One World Championship. So, Hammy, can we say that this is a car launch or just um, as you so <laughs> Some people would say it was, it was you know, a rather cynical uh, observation, but I think a very astute one. That This is more a livery launch rather than a car launch, but uh, it looks very on-brand, let's put it <laughs> that way, for Red
0: Bull. I like the way you put that. And let's be very, very clear. What may have once been a period where teams would unveil the car that they'd spent the past year working on, that is absolutely not the case now. I think the car reveal really is a great way to make your sponsors whole, that if you're Oracle, or if you're Honda, or if you're any of these companies that are spending money to, to adorn the side of the Red Bull, this is a great opportunity to get your money's worth on a stage in front of a bunch of influencers, streaming to the world. But what we saw was absolutely not an RB19. It was either a show car or some variation of the 2022 car rocking the new livery. And to your point, I think everyone across the internet was extremely mystified or disappointed when Red Bull showed up with the branding a livery that seemed very familiar with the livery they've rocked every other year. And I don't think I was particularly surprised, maybe a little bit disappointed, but I also understand that they have certain internal brand standards that they certainly want to stay true to. I thought it was interesting during the, the reveal as well. So the reveal, by the way, was February 3rd. It was on Friday in New York City. And uh, as you and I talked about last Thursday, last Friday, uh, it was because of the forthcoming partnership with Ford. But it was good to see Daniel Ricardo on stage. He talked a little bit about what his role is going to be with this team. He talked about the fact that, hey, the boys, Sergio, Max, they're going to Be out there the ones pounding in the laps of winter testing.
1: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered.
0: at testing, practice, qualifying during the races. And he's going to really help dial in the car back at the factory in the sim. But he seemed in really good spirits and he seemed to be in a great place. Sergio uh, and Max also seemed to equally be in his good place. Uh, Definitely some changes in terms of the sponsors that adorn the car. They have a new company that's providing their activewear, the the uniforms, the, the, the race overall, the race suit itself is very different. We got a sneak peek at Max's helmet, that he's going to be rocking this year, which looks fantastic. It's predominantly white, but it looks very good. But really, all of this was a bit of a sideshow, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but towards the end of the reveal, so they'd rolled the RB19 on stage, Daniel had been out, Sergio had been out. Max had been out. They talked about the car, their expectations for the year. Christian Horner talked a little bit about the fact that the tire regulations, the tire compounds are going to be a little bit different. And they had to dial in some of the aerodynamic tweaks that are going to be necessary to be compatible with the technical regulations this year. But then they brought out the a Ford Mach-E wearing a Red Bull livery, and it became official that from 2026 onwards, Ford is going to be a technical partner of Red Bull Racing. More specifically, Ford is going to be a technical partner of the Red Bull Powertrains division, which will be rebranded for 2026. Well, I guess it's technically going to be rebranded effective immediately, but will become Red Bull Ford. Power trains. And of course, as you and I have discussed so many times before, Red Bull has made some pretty significant process in terms of developing the internal combustion engine component or parts of that power unit, and it looks and it sounds very much like Ford's going to lend some significant expertise in terms of battery and control electronics and the MGUK, which will, of course, serve a much bigger, much more significant role in the 2026 power unit regulations. Speaking about Ford's return to F1, Executive Chair Bill Ford said, this is the start of a thrilling new chapter in Ford's motorsport story that began when my great-grandfather won a race that helped launch our company. Ford is returning to the pinnacle of the sport, bringing Ford's long tradition of innovation, sustainability, and electrification to one of the world's most visible stages. And this is from autosport.com. Ford has cited two factors in its decision to return to F1. The growth of the Grand Prix racing, especially in the United States, since Liberty Media's takeover, plus the increasing role that electric power will play in the 2026 power units, the decision by Ford to commit to Grand Prix racing has been welcomed by F1C Stefano Domenicali, who joined the company for its announcement on Friday. Domenicali said, the news today that Ford is coming to Formula One from 2026 is great for the sport, and we're excited to see them join the incredible automotive partners already in Formula One. Ford is a global brand with an incredible heritage of racing and the automotive world, and they see the huge value that our platform provides with over half a billion around the world. So Mark, it's been almost 20 years. It will have been 21, 22 years by the time 26 26 rolls around. Your impression that they're coming back, it's not really a works arrangement. It's definitely not a branding exercise. It is a technical partnership, and they will be developing components of the power unit in collaboration with Red Bull Powertrains. Your impression, your thoughts, are, are you excited about the fact that this huge, European American automotive behemoth is coming back to the Formula One grid for 2026.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To, to me, it's there, there's a bit of, a bit of a void in Formula One with Ford not there because I mean, the the Ford Cosworth is just like one of those classic names. It's just uh, it was such a successful power unit in its various iterations over decades. Won so many races and championships, and so many fantastic Formula One drivers, iconic Formula One drivers had Ford power behind them in their cars. So when they disappeared from the sp- sport and which I think is fair to say a bit of a whimper was you know it it left a bitter taste in my mouth. And it had been so long I'd honestly thought that you know, we, we'd never see them back in Formula One. So I have to admit, I'm a little bit uh, surprised. But the way that Formula One's become this, I wouldn't say an unstoppable juggernaut over the past couple of years. I mean, it certainly has picked up such a big head of steam and has uh, reached into markets that uh, traditionally have not been, you know, the, the, the most... I wouldn't say exploited. That's a bad word, but the, the markets I you, that I they, they, they 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 typically haven't they haven't had much as much penetration in there, and and the United States w- was one of them. But I mean, when you think about it, I mean the USA. I mean, obviously, the, it, it's a world you know economic and military and political superpower and all those things. And I mean, American engineering might. I mean, Ford, GM. I mean, you have Andretti. This. Oh, Cadillac thing going around. I mean, the 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 know how, the money, the expertise, all that stuff is there. It just—I uh, I couldn't help but wonder, just every now and again, over the past eighteen to twenty-four months, as the sport has really exploded in popularity in, in North America, whether we would see an American OEM come back in. And of course, Ford was the first one that would pop into my mind because of the historical—the historical connection, right? And it, it seems like it's. I I don't say that it's, it's, I guess it has been a long time coming. It definitely has been a long time coming, but the partnership arrangement is interesting. And like you say, it's not like a full blown, like works arrangement. But it's somewhere in between where they're providing expertise and and all those uh, different things. And I w- I'm just glad that it just wasn't like a branding exercise, like with the whole you know Alpha Romeo Sauber thing. And you know the sooner that that's sort of over and done with, and Audi comes in there proper, even though they won't be having like Audi badges on there, I guess officially for a couple of years yet. It just um, that that was always just like a bit of a hokey arrangement. I mean the livery and everything was really cool and it was it was cool to see Alfa Romeo back in Formula 1 because that's another you know very iconic and you know established brand but it was just it was also a little bit kind of funny because I mean, if you knew anything about Formula One, that you just do that this is this is just an advertising gimmick, right? And yeah. and this this Ford Red Bull arrangement is anything but. So it, it's exciting to see, and it's going to be interesting to see how this this unfolds and how it develops, you know, in the run up to twenty twenty six, and then actually in twenty twenty six when it becomes like an actual operational racing entity, which is going to be cool.
0: I guess there's a couple of different ways, an OEM, a couple of different models that OEMs can use to become... Involved in Formula One. There's the full-on works model, right? And we see mm-hmm. that with Renault, which disastrously is called Alpine, which I think is a terrible, terrible marketing play and should be rescinded as quickly as possible. Renault is a major global brand. bland, bland. bland. <laughs> Can you tell a little under the weather? Renault is a major global brand, of course, outside of North America, and there's some cachet associated with it. Alpine is a tiny, novel, little sports car maker. Uh, but Renault is a, a works manufacturer, and Mercedes is, of course, a works manufacturer manufacturer, and Ferrari is a works manufacturer. Another model, as you described, for becoming involved as an OEM is Alfa Romeo. And of course, Alfa Romeo is purely a branding exercise without any technical involvement at all because they're rocking a Ferrari power unit and the car is being designed and built by Sauber. Um, Of course, that was a little bit interesting only because Alfa Romeo and Ferrari have kind of linkages in their grand part, kind of grand global corporate relationships and I don't know, DNA, but then you also have instances like Honda where Honda is an OEM and they're developing and manufacturing a power unit from the ground up and they're supplying it and selling it on to other teams. And this is, this is, and I I don't like to use the word hybrid because of the associations with the power unit, but this is kind of a hybrid Mm -hmm. relationship in the sense that, you know, Red Bull is going to build the team they're building the foundation of the power unit, and Ferrari's going or Ferrari Ford is going to pump money into the team, both because it gets its logo emblazoned on the side of the car and on the power unit, but they're also going to invest people and and technical expertise in refining the electrical components. So, to me, this is this is a brilliant brilliant solution both for Ford and for Red Bull, because you know you and I talked last week about the fact that we were sitting here last summer and we were expecting the Porsche. Red Bull partnership to be announced in Austria, and it didn't happen, and it dragged out, and it fell apart, and it fell apart because Porsche's expert expectation, where they were going to be able to buy fifty percent of the entire operation, which would lend them incredible control over the team, and I think Red Bull was conducive to that, but I think Helmet Marco and Christian Horner certainly weren't willing to give up that level of control in terms of managing the team, and in this case here, they get a major. Automotive OEM involved, and they get the money and they get some technical expertise, and they don't give up any control to Ford whatsoever. And if you're Ford, you now get your name on a power unit. You're involved in the development of the power unit. You get your name on a world championship winning car and you do it with minimal cost because if you look at Audi, look, think about it, Like Audi is now building a factory in Germany to build a 2026 power unit from the ground up and is also spending hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of the next year to buy Sauber. That's a very expensive way to get involved in Formula 1 so I think this is a great play for Ford, I think this is a great play for Christian Horner and Helmut Marko and the entire Red Bull team and I think it's going to be a very, very, very successful. Pairing, And I think what it also does, and I think a lot of our Andretti fans are probably going to be frustrated to hear this, I think this is also really damaging to the Andretti Cadillac bid because it re-exposes what that proposed arrangement is, which is Andretti will build a car presumably with some technical input from GM, but they're going to be buying the power unit from Renault. And that is a sealed unit. Neither GM nor Andretti can modify, tamper, or open that power unit. So in the case of Cadillac, in the case of GM, that really is a branding exercise, rocking a power unit from a French OEM that you directly compete with in many markets. So I think this is a brilliant solution for Ford and a brilliant solution for Red Bull.
1: Yeah, I think it's also very interesting too that uh, that their expertise is going to be uh, will be a battery and hybrid uh, technology because um, among other things, right? But I, I find that that's kind of like the key words that kind of like popped out of the whole announcement to, to me because I'm I won't uh, deny it. I'm not really too up to date what's going on with the, with road cars and the different manufacturers, but I didn't actually realize that maybe Ford was that involved or maybe that much of an industry leader in that sort of uh, technology. So I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've got any more insights or comments uh, on that, Mark.
0: Yeah. So F1.com published an article that has a couple of interesting quotes that probably tie in well to your question. But Mark Rushberg, Global Director of Ford Performance Motorsports, and I'm quoting here, explained that the new, more sustainable direction F1 is taking was key to their decision, as was the growing popularity of the sport across the globe. And specifically in Ford's home market in America. And I quote from Mark Rushbrook, global director of Ford Performance Motorsports Ford's interest started two plus years ago when we started to see and understand what the future of the sport was with the technology changes, the commitment to sustainable fuels the net carbon zero, and the change to the technical regulations to make electrification an even bigger component of the hybrid power unit, he said, that became of interest to us because we knew we could contribute something technically, but also continue to learn in those areas. In parallel to that, we saw what was happening to the sport itself with the popularity of the growing global fan base and the diversity of that fan base, which would then give us a platform to tell our story. As we saw that really coming together and continue to grow, we started to think, Okay, this is something like maybe it's the right time to get back into F1. So I think that kind of addresses your question in terms of the motivations for getting back in. And, you know, my wife just kind of whispered in my ear in the background here as well what's happening with Honda? But Honda will continue to adorn the sides of the cards for 23, 24, 25. Honda will continue to supply power units for the next three years. The joint Red Bull Ford powertrains power unit will appear in the car from 2026 onwards. (laughs)
1: Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> it, it really is, uh, you know, interesting when you, you see like these announcements with Ford and then the official uh, Audi announcement uh, some time ago that, you know, we're so so excited to see all these brands coming back into Formula One, but we're going to have to sit here for another three years before it actually <laughs> so becomes true. reality. And we see these like Audis or these uh, Ford powered Red Bulls take you to the track, but it certainly is uh, an exciting, exciting time. And just kind of like maybe even bringing like uh, th- th- this Comet or this train thoughtful circle to what i was saying earlier when ford came in and rebranded uh stewart grand prix as jaguar two decades ago and then you saw like all these other oems like toyota and honda bmw etc that all came in in the early 2000s i don't know why mark maybe i'm older and more cynical when i than i was when i was younger more naive and more gullible 20 years ago but it just to me this has a bit of a different feel about it like it it just seems to me that there's there feels like there's more sincere commitment i guess if i could sum it up in any way i i would say that the commitment seems more genuine it seems more sincere than it did 20 years ago it just kind of daily that is
0: that is the byproduct of having a cost cap right like if you look at BMWs flirt with Formula One 15, 20 years ago and and Toyota and Honda when they had their works team and, and all these other different teams like Ford Jaguar, there was no cost cap. It was, you, you could spend $400 million a year developing your cars and not score any points. For these teams, for these OEMs now who are responsible to a board of directors and to their shareholders, there's cost certainty. We're going to spend $130 million. That's it. That, that's an easy line to put in their ledger, to put in their P&L. There isn't these unexpected costs associated with Formula 1 like there was years ago. But I think you're right, and I think this is one of those things that Formula 1 Liberty is probably most excited about, is these teams seem to be invested in Formula 1 for the long term. And even Honda, who had announced in 2020 that they were exiting after 2021, has seemingly made a 300, and, and we don't know officially that they're going to be back in 2026. They've committed to the engine regulations. It doesn't mean they're going to build the 2026 power unit, but they want to have some sort of influence on what those regulations look like. But even Honda seems committed to coming back for 2026. I mean, we have six six manufacturers signed up for the 2026 power unit regulations in a sport that only has 10 teams that the majority (laughs) of the teams could be a works team or be, be the sole recipient of a power unit from a major automotive OEM.
1: That's very very cool. Just uh, before we move on to the next Red Bull story, I just <laughs> wanted to uh, discuss. Um, I, I mean, it's all going to be one kind of fluid conversation as we kind of go from from one topic uh, to the next. I, I just uh, there was one thing that um, that you said that popped out um, during that uh, quote you're reading now. I don't remember now if it was from Bill Ford or from from Mark uh, Rushbrook, their Ford Performance uh, Motorsports uh, uh, manager. But there was something that they they've been wanting to do this for two plus years. This that they were looking at this during peak COVID, which is which is incredible, because at that time not only was this incredible global uncertainty as 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 COVID burrowed its way throughout civilization and all the uncertainty that went with that, but that was at the same time that uh, behind the scenes, that after we had that initial shutdown in Formula One in the spring. Well, basically all the spring of 2020, behind the scenes, uh, they were still talking New Concord Agreement. They're talking cost cap and and amidst, you know, if if I just even do the math during like all this uncertainty Ford at that time was obviously looking at these uh, discussions and thinking, well, this, this COVID thing isn't going to last forever. And, you know, these guys are getting serious now about financials and putting in a cost cap and, you know, if they can get this done and the numbers make sense, then we're going to have to sit down and take a serious look at that. So just that admission from Bill Ford or Mark Rushbrook, that, um, that's astounding. Just to dial it back to when this that this was started to become a thing for them. Actually, during peak COVID, that's that's a mind blower. Okay, so um, you know we did uh, talk about the the big news with Ford. So and you know your wife obviously would just uh, whispered in your about the whole <laughs> Honda thing. Can you enlighten us a little bit more why Red Bull opted to to go with Ford rather than stay with Honda, with whom they've obviously had a very very in- incredibly successful, albeit to date a very brief relationship uh,
0: so far. Well, I'll start with a quote from. Red Bull team principal, Christian Horder, that helped set the stage here. But he was asked that exact question. And he said, we've had an incredible partnership with Honda. And when they initially announced their withdrawal from Formula One in 2020, it was with great sadness. And that's what prompted the creation of Red Bull powertrains to take control of our own future, he said. And we set out on that journey. There was a change of plan with Honda, thankfully, to agree to continue to supply engines till the end of 2025 until we are building up our resources for 2026. That contract we have is is until the end of 2025. We have a great working relationship. And they are an incredible company. And under the current regulations, we'll be pushing with Honda all the way until the last race of the 2025 season. Adds Horner, now with an OEM partner like Ford, our paths are different for the 2026 season. We wish Honda the very best of luck for 2026 as their plans look to crystallize. But between now and then, we will be working very closely and looking to build on the success that we have achieved so far. So the quote doesn't really answer your question, which is why aren't they going to partner for 2026? I think we can surmise a couple of things. One is that Honda hasn't themselves officially committed to Formula One for 2026. And furthermore, if they were to commit to Red Bull from 2026 onwards, it would be in a significantly reduced capacity. So today, they're designing and building the entire power unit and the electrical system from the ground up in Tokyo. If they were to continue this partnership with Red Bull, Red Bull's effectively finished, at least we understand, they've effectively finished the internal combustion unit. Honda's involvement would be significantly reduced. And for all we know, Honda could be committed to continuing to develop a power unit from the ground up, which is why they continue to lurk around the FIA and the 2026 power unit regulations and the technical directives and the technical direction of that process. So I don't think there's really an answer yet, but clearly the two were looking for something very different, that that Red Bull was looking for a technical partner that could provide capital and some technical expertise and input into the power unit. And that's not what Honda was looking for. And it's either because they're not themselves 100% committed to staying in Formula One after 2025, or it's that internally they are committed, but that they want to build a power unit from the ground up. So at least that's my takeaway based on what we've learned over the last few days and weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the, the whole Honda thing—you know—it's still I find it uh, quite intriguing and somewhat uh, confusing because you know when they made that announcement saying that they're pulling out at the end of twenty-one it just like my, my initial reaction then and still is now it's like are, are you sure you really want to do that I mean it just looked like e- even then even though they didn't win it in 2020 and then you know, they, they said well we're going to throw everything into this project for 2021 do everything we can to help Max and, and, and Red Bull win a championship and obviously they did and then last year was uh, just as uh, successful and even more dominant I mean which was absolutely incredible it just seemed like such odd timing I know that that they wanted to concentrate on the electric the electrification big word for this time of night electrification of their their road uh, car fleet but it just it seems like guys you seem like you're on the the cusp on the verge of doing something amazing here it's like do you don't you want to just rethink this like you've already come so far and uh, invested so much money maybe you want to ride this thing out a little bit longer but hey we all uh, kind of know where that went we are not well well, let's just say that this continues to be a very fluid and developing uh, story. Okay, so uh, one more Red Bull story, and then it'll be time to, to turn off uh, the lights uh, for another week. So Red Bull are going to race with uh, uh, several fan-designed liveries at uh, the three U.S.-based Grand Prix's this year, so at uh, Coda, Miami, and uh, Vegas, so that's uh, kind of cool. But it's interesting because uh, was it last week uh, when you uh, read out that section on the... Uh, on the regs, when it comes to the liveries, that the livery that uh, that each team has has to be—I can't remember now the exact phrase—but it was like significantly consistent or some 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 kind of weird word combo like that that basically said it has to be pretty much identical to each and, and every race. Which you know is 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 not like uh, something unusual. We we have seen teams kind of go with these one-off uh, race liveries. Typically, we see it at Monaco. We saw Ferrari do it at Mugello a couple of years ago. I mean all they really did was kind of go with like that really, really beautiful scarlet red that was kind of like a throwback to the 1950s for their 1000 uh, Grand Prix. So, I mean, that was kind of like fairly consistent with, uh, you know, their their overall brand. Uh, but, but this is kind of cool, like a, a fan competition to design or design delivery for a Formula One car. I love it. I the absolutely Viacomar, love I, it. Are you going to enter, or has it already been decided? Because I have no artistic talent, so you know if they want to go for like the complete blank slate. My design, you know, by <laughs> the way, is
0: a black car with a gold OVO owl. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. I have no. I have no right to that IP, but <laughs> that would be my vision. But the last time that Red Bull rocked an alternate, an alternate livery was that beautiful white Honda livery oh, in, in late 2021. So this is cool. It's an awesome way to engage with your yeah. fan base. And it's a great way to mix it up because like I said earlier, I think there were some disappointments from the the community. And I don't know if it's necessarily from the Red Bull fan community, but from the Formula One community that they were leaning into a tried and true design standard. But I think this is a great way to mix it up. And when you're talking about a 23 race calendar, it's a little monotonous to see the exact same design race after race. So I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. And I think... Reflecting back on the sporting regulations, I think it's that the two cars must be adorned with liveries that are largely indistinguishable from one another, but that the team can mix up the livery design from race to race as long as the two cars are consistent provided that they get sign off from the FIA and I think I think the FIA sign oh, okay. off is really more of a safety piece because they need to be able to educate the marshals and other safety attendants on who's rocking each car and I've been at Grand Prix before when I've walked up behind marshals and they always have these charts and the charts show the helmet design of the individual drivers so they can identify the drivers in the event of a crash and also it gives them a guideline to the liveries that the cars are rocking and it, indicates which team owns each car. So I think part of it's probably just a safety piece, but I think it's cool. It's a really great way to engage the community. And, you know, we talked about this before too, but there was a point under Bernie Eccleston where... Drivers can only wear an alternate helmet once a season, which was crazy. I think it's really exciting when drivers can mix up their helmet design and do something new and fun for every single race, whether it's Miami or Australia, or if I'm a driver and at my home race and I want to do something special, that's that's really cool. And it, it lends a degree of personification to uh, a character mm-hmm. that I think is sometimes... Uh, cloaked behind a racing suit and a helmet and it helps their personality pop and it helps the community better interface with that as that that driver as a human being yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed, uh, yeah, nailed it right there with that uh, clarification on the regs. But I- I'd completely forgotten about that really beautiful uh, Honda tribute uh, that they did there. But do you remember when this is going back a good number of years ago? Was it maybe eight, ten years ago? Remember they had like a sort of a Star Wars livery at Monaco one year? Was that 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 was Red Bull, wasn't it? I, th- I think it was. Do you not not remember it? No, you're kind of like I, I'd have to look it up. Somebody did, and I think if it was anyone, it'd have to be Red Bull. <laughs> here I've gone. I've I've opened my mouth uh, during the middle of a podcast with like a fact that I've, you know, not sure I'm not sure not the prove greatest and, fact it,
0: checker at 10:17 p.m. at night when I've got a cold. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs>
1: That's okay. Somebody, somebody will uh, figure it out and let us know, or we can go and Google search it afterwards. Finally, the final Red Bull and the final story of the night uh, goes to the two-time world champion and the current reigning world champion, Mister Max Verstappen, who weighed in on the uh, you know the ongoing controversy of the the FIA crackdown on driver political statements. He said, "quote I don't think it's necessary. I think we should be allowed to speak." End quote. So this just uh, follows up uh, comments made just a couple of days ago from uh, Alfa Romeo driver Valtteri Bottas, who basically said the same thing. We all know what guys like Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton have uh, been saying. They've obviously been very vocal and Helmet very Marco, outspoken. We on, discussed last week yeah, as, well as, as well as opposed to yeah. this. Yep. Yeah, do you, do you think now that uh, that you you have like uh, somebody like uh, Max? I mean, Max obviously is not afraid to speak his mind, but it tends to usually just be things that Max is specifically involved in when it comes to what happens on the track. This this I think is a bit of an interesting departure that he would um, throw his uh, thoughts into this conversation. But you know,
0: what, what are your I, thoughts? I was Tammy? pleasantly surprised by this, to be totally honest. Obviously, when the two times world championship or champion makes a, a statement. it's not a statement. It's not like he issued a statement indicating his uh, preference uh, against the against the changes to the regulations. But he was asked the question. And like you said, I think he says, I think personally everyone's different. Some people are more outspoken than others. I'm not normally that outspoken. Um, and he continues, but I don't think it's necessary obviously being the clamp down on what drivers can and can't say, because in a way you're basically making sure that people are not allowed to speak anymore, which I think we should be allowed. And of course, like I said before, some people will speak more, some not, but it was probably a bit unnecessary. Yeah. So I think you and I, I think we dissected this at length probably three or four weeks ago. And we talked about what a landmine strone topic that this is ultimately that I don't think anybody had been screaming for a clampdown on drivers being able to express themselves and talk about issues that are important to them. And I think what we're beginning to see now is as the drivers come out of the winter break and they're in front of the media, they're being asked this question. And obviously, Valtteri Bottas, like you said, was opposed. Helmet Marco surprisingly was opposed. Now, two-time world champion. Uh, Max Verstappen is clearly opposed and I think this will be sentiment that we continue to hear and you know when when this when this sporting regulation change came down a few weeks ago I was convinced like I said on Thursday I was convinced that this was something that was being engineered by Liberty and the teams and I think more than ever that this isn't the case because I think if the teams were championing this as a possibility they would have done it in collaboration with the drivers and I don't think that's that's the sense that I'm getting here and you know I'm just pulling this up right now Not at all no christian horner also today i'm just bringing up this story um, right now give me one sec to bring this up but i think christian horner also made a statement today yeah christian horner will not stop his drivers from speaking out this is from planet f1 sam cooper christian horner will not stop his drivers from speaking out this year even though he's generally against sport being used as a political tool so even christian horner in the face of sporting regulations that are specifically engineered to avoid uh, a driver speaking out will not prevents his drivers from, from sharing messaging that's important to them.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder now when you, when you hear people like Max, like Helmet, like uh, Christian Horner weighing into this and you know taking a you know a, you know contrary stance to what what they want to do with like this crackdown, kind of makes you wonder if they're going to step back on this or or, or double down and, and and dig in and say you no know, this this is what it's going to be. So it'd be kind of an interesting uh, you know story to keep following in the days and, and weeks ahead. But Hammy, you know the the, the Red Bull special that uh, <laughs> this is the one that we always wanted to do. But never even realized it until this afternoon. Is uh, we're we're finally there. But you know, somewhat uh, obviously shorter than a usual show. But uh, nice. To, you know, I know we've been doing like uh, regular shows, like over the the off season, even on a Sunday night. But this kind of has like a, a regular season. Feel to it because it was funny. Because before we sat down and hit record here a little earlier, you said this is the off season that just uh, keeps on giving, and it is so true. Like Formula One really has uh, evolved to the point that it is a, a 24 7, 365. You know, thing entity, right? I mean, I mean, there was obviously a little bit of a slowdown there during that holiday week or two weeks there at the end of uh, December, which was, uh, you know, to be expected. But it's just been story after story either side of that, you know, bookending that, uh, you know, the end of the year and the holiday period. But, you know, it's crazy now to think that uh, we already have several car reveals under our belts and we got a whole bunch more coming up this week and next week. And just in two weeks, we're going to be off to winter testing i mean uh I'm, I'm getting excited i'll you know i could feel like my my heart rate increasing here because the season now is literally just around the corner from me I mean it's february i mean march is the start of the season guys it's almost here which is uh, great. So we're going to wrap it up there. And um, you know, if you want to do us a favor, if you enjoy what we do, I'm going to steal Hammy's a little bit here. You know, by all means head over to Spotify or Apple Podcast and uh, leave a rating review. There helps us uh, grow the show, and or share it with a friend is maybe the best way to do it. If you want to get in touch send Hammy a DM or a tweet on the Twitters at ScooteryF1Pod or send us an email at ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great start to the week, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday night slash Friday morning with the regular big show. And until then, we'll try and make it through the week as well. And, uh, well, at least on my side, it's going to take a heck of a lot of coffee as it usually does. So, guys, head down. Let's get this done. Weekend will be here before you know it. And, uh, we'll talk to you then have a great week. Bye for now.